You're listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org. Today's scripture from, comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3, verses 31 to 35. Then his mother and his brothers came. And standing outside, they sent to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and brothers are waiting outside for you. And he replied, Who are my mother and brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. The word of God for the people of God. Good and gracious God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I've shared before that my family has a cottage up north on Lake Louise in Boyne Falls, and the cottage itself is located on the cove of the lake, which is usually the quiet part of the lake. It's a great fishing spot. In fact, just to the left of where our dock is, a lot of people come and fish there. There's quiet hours on the lake from 7 p.m. to 10 a.m., leaving the dusk times for fishing. Our first years when we got the cottage in the late 80s was about learning to water ski and also fishing with my dad. Now, my dad got very into fishing when we got the cottage. He bought a boat, he got a fish tracker, he got other contraptions that were advertised on the fishing shows of the early 90s or in the Bass Pro Shop catalog. He got all kinds of lures, which ended up being a great idea for Christmas presents for him, although he found that real worms worked best, and so there was always a container of Walt's crawlers in our refrigerator. My dad taught me how to put a worm on a hook, how to cast my rod, how to slowly reel it in. When I caught a fish, though, he took it off the hook for me, and we almost always threw them back. My favorite memory of fishing with my dad was the time that we caught 50 fish. We were out by Frog Island, and one by one we reeled them in, and my dad took them off the hook, and we threw them back. Now, he did say to me at one point, it's possible that we just keep catching the same fish, (laughs) but it's still a pretty fantastic memory for me. Now, that's what I think about when I think about fishing. It's kind of what we think about when we think about fishing for sport, right, for fun. One by one, reeling them in, throwing them back, or of course, if you're fishing on another lake than Lake Louise, you might actually keep them and eat them. But that's what I think of. And when I talk about fishing, I think about the reel and the worm and the hook. But when it's your livelihood, when you are a commercial fisherman, it's all very different. Commercial fishermen, uh, you can find online, they have a job description where they plan all of the fishing operations. They assess the weather and the sea conditions. They use the fish finding equipment and all the latest technology. They positions the, position the nets and the fishing lines and the traps and the dredges to catch fish and all the other things. 
They measure the caught fish and get them ready to sell. They clean and sort and store them. They operate the system that uh, hoists up the captured fish. It's all pretty complicated. Comparably.com said that the average commercial fisherman today in the United States makes $67,748, and the highest paid fishermen are found in San Francisco, where they make $101,456. That's a little bit different than fishing in Jesus' time. Reverend Colby Cuevas writes that fishermen that Jesus called to follow him used nets and baskets and spears and a hook and line. Fishing was hard work. Fishermen weren't influential people. They weren't clean. They probably smelled. They were not polished. They were rough and ragged, but they had useful skills. Most likely, they were multilingual. Some degree of business savvy was held by them, and they were hardworking. They cast their nets at night to avoid the heat of the sun, and in the morning they sorted their haul and sold what they could. There was a high demand for fish, and it was a competitive business. Fishing was a common trade around the Sea of Galilee, and you'll remember that Jesus came from Galilee. Nazareth, in particular, which was one of the two largest cities found in Galilee, is where Jesus came from. And we learn that his ministry happened all over Galilee. In fact, Galilee is mentioned 64 times in the New Testament. It's located in the northwest part of uh, northern Israel. And um, in Jesus' day, it was part of the Roman Empire. It was one of the three provinces of ancient Palestine. Lower Galilee was a great plain and hill country running down into the Jordan. It was beautiful. And Upper Galilee was mountainous and known as the Galilee of the Gentiles. All 12 of Jesus' disciples came from Galilee, and it's where Jesus did 85% of his ministry. It was around the Sea of Galilee in particular. That's where Peter, Andrew, James, and John were fishing. It's where they were when Peter walked on water and where the boat was when Jesus and the disciples were in the windstorm and Jesus was asleep. Throughout Jesus' ministry, they are often traveling across in order to get to different parts of Galilee. And so the fishermen would have known the sea and they would have understood it. And that's why probably at least seven of the first disciples were believed to be fishermen. James and John were the sons of Zebedee and partners with Andrew and Peter in the fishing business. And Jesus had likely seen them before. He knew what he was getting into when he called them. But then he called them. He came into their profession. He took something that they have and made it something new. He gave these rough, dirty, unelegant men hope and purpose. Jesus saw them and how they could use their gifts in new ways. Who would have thought that the qualities of a fisherman would come in handy for Jesus' companions in ministry? But perhaps their most helpful quality was that they were normal, average, everyday people. They were hard workers people who others would feel comfortable with, 
maybe not intimidated by, and certainly understood by. And it reminds us that Jesus never calls us for something that he hasn't already equipped us for. Jesus calls everyone. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to be well-read. He'll take what we have, what we offer, and work good through it. But it's not easy. The disciples' journey sure shows us that. And these stories by the sea that were retold remind us that. The first story, they're all in the boat. Jesus is asleep. They're traveling across the Sea of Galilee to the Gentile community. Remember, Gentile are the, Gentiles are the non-Jews. And it's a little bit interesting to me that while they're in the boat, in a sea that the disciples knew well, they become so scared. Certainly, if seven of them were fishermen, you would think, because they set their, nights out, their nets out at night, they would have been a common experience to have encounter these storms. But nonetheless, the storm comes, and they are afraid. Perhaps the storm is a metaphor of sorts, through the sea that they knew, the disciples left what they knew to go into new places, to Gentile horizons, so to speak. It could be scary and rough with a lot of uncertainty, which is not all that unlike discipleship. The discipleships are called to follow Jesus. They were to leave their families, their homes for a new family in unfamiliar places. Thankfully, when Jesus calls today, we're rarely called to leave our families, but we're often called to go to unfamiliar places with unfamiliar people. The disciples had to adjust to that as well. Jesus sent them to the other side in the middle of a storm, and they had to learn to trust, to trust each other and to trust Jesus because there would continue to be other sides to go to. Being a disciple isn't easy, but as this miracle shows us, trusting in Jesus means experiencing his power and being empowered to follow. Well, this all happens again. The disciples are in the boat on the Sea of Galilee, and this time Jesus is not with them, and they're scared again. They see him walking out to them, and they're afraid, really scared, because they don't know who it is. I'm not sure who else they thought it was, but they don't know that it's Jesus. And so Peter gets his moment, and he cries out, Is it you, Lord? And Jesus says, Come. And he walks on water. That simple word, come, and Jesus, or Peter walks towards Jesus. And then another strong wind comes, and he's scared again, and he begins to sink, and he cries out, Lord, save me, and Jesus does. Peter's often the guinea pig, the example for what not to do, right? He's impulsive and easily excited, but so earnestly wants to please Jesus. Jesus may sometimes be a little hard on him, but always offers him grace. Time and again, Jesus saves Peter from sinking and saves us from sinking too. Peter is willing to try. In his book, Undistracted, Bob Goff says, 
The first time Peter called out to Jesus from the boat, he asked Jesus to prove his identity. The second time Peter called out, he'd already seen the proof, but realized upon sinking that he needed a boatload of help. If you have some doubts in your faith, it's not just okay, it's better than okay. Don't shrink back, lean in, take the risk and step out, but don't forget to call out to Jesus if you start to sink. Faith doesn't mean we don't doubt, but it also doesn't mean we don't try. Peter doubted, the disciples questioned, but their faith still led them because they kept at it, and they didn't let their doubts get in the way. My grandfather, whom I called Poppy, enjoyed fishing. My mom has told me about when she was growing up, they would go every summer on vacation to a place in Vermont, and he would go out on the dock as soon as they got there to set his minnow trap. Every year without fail, Poppy would go out on the dock and the dock would collapse. He'd fallen, but it didn't matter. He was determined and so every year he went back and over and over again that happened. As he grew older and sick and they moved to Michigan, he continued to persist. He'd get frustrated and angry. His coordination was not as good. His hand would shake as he tried to bait his hook, and he was embarrassed that my dad had to help him. Began to wonder if he should stop. Maybe it was too much. But he persisted because he liked to fish. He enjoyed the serenity, the peacefulness, and being at home in the water. The disciples were a ragtag bunch, but they were fishermen. They were used to things not always going their way. They were used to failing, but they were hardworking and they persisted. They never gave up, and that made them good disciples. And so they grew in their faith and they had the courage to change the world. And we might not think that we have the gifts or the faith or whatever it takes to really change the world, to really follow Jesus, to really be a disciple, but God sees the potential in each and every one of us and calls us and equips us. And if we're willing to walk with Jesus, to step out in faith, we'll find that God won't let us sink. God will calm the storms and guide us and lead us to places where they need the good news more than ever. We just have to choose. Choose to follow. Choose to trust. And know that when we walk with Christ, Christ is there with us, reaching out his hand, helping us to have the strength and the courage to change the world as we walk with Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org.